Glory be to God. So we're going to get into the Word this morning, Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. And we're going to be listening to the words of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. And he's sitting at a mill with a group of people and one of them that sat at that mill with him and heard the things that he was saying. This guy speaks up and says unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Good statement. Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he, that is Jesus, unto this person, A certain man made a great feast and invited many. A certain man made a great feast and invited many. Verse 17. And he sent his servant at supper or the feast time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. That sounds a bit like the second coming, doesn't it? The return of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Do you know, if you were invited to a palace or the White House or some grandiose place to receive a great feast and be bestowed with great gifts, what would your response be? Sometimes you look at the news when, I don't know if they still do it now that everyone's buying online, but I remember back in the day, you'd see on the news, Boxing Day, New Year's sales, um, New Year's Day, when a new iPhone or some concert, and they'd literally show people sleeping overnight, queuing up to go and get their special. It's amazing what men and women do when they get excited about something. And um, here is Jesus teaching us this parable and this great feast has been put out and the master has sent forth the invitation. And what do we get when this invitation goes out? We read in verse 18, And they all, with one consent, began to make excuses. They all, with one consent, began to make excuses. Uh, You can be assured that any man, woman was invited along to receive a gift of a million dollars or ten million, there would be no excuses. They would be there. But it's amazing when it comes to the things of God, how quickly anything and everything is more important and we begin to make excuses. The blessing, the privilege is offered. Yet they all with one consent began to make excuses. It comes down to priorities. People often say, I don't have time. You have 24 hours in a day like anyone else. It is not a time issue. It is a priority issue. It's amazing when people go through tough times in their life. So often I've seen and witnessed that the first thing that they need to give up so that they can rest, so that they can recuperate, is not... Worldly things, entertainment, TV, whatever, social media. The first thing they tend to give up is the things of God. I need to rest. And that's their response. The excuses come out. The first said unto him, I have brought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I pray, have thee me excused. Another said, I have brought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? A little bit of humour thrown in there. Be careful who you marry. Many a spouse pulls, and it works both ways. 
their husband or their wife away from the things of God. Notice spiritual dynamics that are happening in your life in your home. Anyone heard of the Encyclopedia Britannica? It's the oldest general encyclopedia in the world. It was the gold standard, I believe, for quite some time. But you know there's another set that is actually older than the one they claim is the oldest and is more widely used. Does anybody know what it is? It's not the Encyclopedia Britannica, it's the Encyclopedia Satanica. Sounds funny, doesn't it? In other words, Satan has encyclopedias full of excuses that he plants into people's minds. And remember, this parable that we're going through this morning, this is Jesus challenging those that sit around and listen to him. I would have thought, what a wonderful opportunity when this man said, blessed is he who eats in the kingdom of God. That's a positive segue to speak about the glories of heaven, the glories of being in the kingdom. But more often than not, Jesus would not run along with their path of thinking. He would challenge them. We need to be in a church that challenges us. We are in dark days, we are in perilous days, Jesus is coming again and we don't gather just to make ourselves feel good, we gather to be challenged, to be equipped, to be prepared to face the judge of the universe. When that trumpet sounds, it is over, there's no second, third chances and so Jesus is always doing this in his teaching and you need to be careful that the enemy fills our minds with so, so many excuses. How many of you here have ever experienced when you set a time to pray that all of a sudden every distraction in the world happens? There's a noise, someone's screaming, the phone begins to ring. It's just one thing after another. And you look at that and you think, oh, a lot of coincidences. I think there's too many of them to be a coincidence. And we've got to understand what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ and to be a disciple of Jesus. So verse 21, so that servant came and he showed his Lord these things, the excuses. Then the master of the house got angry and said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Those people who have made the excuses, in making the excuse, you know what they're saying? I have no need. That's what they're saying. Because if you saw your need, you would make no excuse. You would run to the invitation of God. But when you think, I'm actually okay. I'm getting by okay. I believe in God. Everything's okay. I don't need to go to the prayer meeting. I don't need to read the Bible. I go to church on Sunday. Things are good. And when you have that type of deceptive content in your life, The enemy uses it to pull you down, to pull you back into a backslidden state. So the Lord said, go out and get those that have need. Those who know that they have a need. The poor, the crippled, those who are desperate. Go and get those ones and bring them in. How beautiful is that? And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded. I love that word commanded. How many of you like the word commanded? A lot of people think the Bible is full of good suggestions. I want to tell you, when God speaks, it's authority. And we do well to see everything he says as a command. 
Because when he speaks, who are we to challenge what he says? And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men who were bidden shall taste of my feast. That's a scary statement. Jesus is declaring that the day is going to come, that when he will look at those who have rejected his call to salvation, his call to discipleship, his call to a surrendered life, that those who have rejected Jesus says none, zero, no exceptions, not one of them are going to taste of this feast. When you listen to that, you realize this is absolute. It's exclusive. It's something that should sober us and cause us to be awakened and to begin to say, I need the fear of God in my life. I need to pick up God's word and begin to read it in a way where I allow the power of his word to have effect in my life. When we pick up the word and we think it's good suggestions or a nice story, I want to tell you we're living a deceived life. We are hearers and we forget what we hear. But when you read the word of God and it's quickened and it's alive, it has a power and authority over you. It brings you to your knees. It causes you to dance and rejoice. It causes you to weep. There is something so powerful in the word of God that it commands a response from us. Amen? God's invitation goes out. How glorious is that? To think that the creator of heaven and earth would come to you, would come to me. There's been different times in my life where I've literally thought, Lord, why would you even bother with me? There's a whole universe out there. What is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I, God, that you who run the whole universe, you uphold it by the power of your word. Why would you come and show concern to one little person on this planet? But how glorious it is that God knows the number of hairs or lack thereof on your head because he's interested in you and he loves you and his invitation is coming to you this morning. As you hear this word, it is God saying, I'm knocking on the door, I'm speaking to you, my child. Don't think he's just a man up here bringing a good talk or an average talk or however you interpret. No, it is Jesus speaking to our hearts. God invites us. How glorious is that? A feast. I love what God invites us to. He doesn't invite us to all of the things that are going to cause us problems in our life. He invites us to a banqueting table. And he says that when we come into his banqueting table, his banner over us is love. He's a God of love. He loves you. And you say, I don't feel worthy. Praise God that you sense that because none of us are. You've seen the light. You are not worthy. I'm not worthy. But his banner over us is love. And he invites those who know that they're not worthy to come to him. Hallelujah. He lifts us up out of the miry clay. He redeems us, he delivers us, he forgives us, he blesses us, he prospers us, he heals us, he saves us. This is the God who's inviting you. He's inviting you today. He's inviting you to glory. He says, I want to set you free from the power of sin. I want to set you free from the torments of the enemy. I want to set you free from the love of this world so that you can be free and that I can glorify you. What an invitation. 
What a glorious invitation is that. In Isaiah 55, he says, Ho, everyone that first, come to the waters. You that have no money, come, buy, eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then the scripture goes on and says, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? In other words, why do you spend so much of your time, your effort, your resources to get that which is nothing but a counterfeit? The things of this world will never satisfy us, church. Why do you do that, the Word of God says? You labor for that which satisfies not. There's so many young people, they become teenagers, they become young adults, and they think that they can get something meaningful from the world. The world leads you to destruction. And God says, don't do it. Don't waste your time, your money, your effort. Come to me and I will give you that which is true. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. How glorious is that? In the goodness of God. So what was the response? Excuses, land, business, marriage. In and of themselves, they're legitimate things. But here's the problem. They took the place of God. In and of themselves, it's legitimate to have a house, to have a wife, etc. But when they take the place of God, when they take the place of God's invitation, when they take the place of God's bidding and his command, and it's an invitation and command for eternal life, when these things take precedence over that and over God, they all decided, these things are more important to me. Jesus says, none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. I pray to God that every man, woman and child that's sitting in this place today, our families, our homes, that we will never experience the reality of that scripture. Where Jesus says, depart from me. I sent the invitation to you. I sent the invitation to you on the 28th of January in the year 2024. And you made excuses. You tuned out, you rejected it. God forbid that that should ever happen in this place. The word of God says that God is not mocked. That which a man sows, he shall reap. That's a sobering scripture, isn't it? God is not mocked. What we are sowing, we are going to reap. And when we sow to the spirit, we reap life everlasting. When we sow to the flesh, we reap destruction. The door of the ark will close. I remember when I was a a child, they put this movie on of Noah, obviously years ago. And it was so dramatic as a child to see the door closing as the rains came down and people were screaming out and clawing on the outside of the ark trying to get in as they realized that death was coming. It was such a sobering picture, but it is nothing in comparison to what's going to happen when that trumpet sounds. When the skies are open like a scroll and the King of kings and the Lord of lords shall come and consume the wicked one with the brightness of his coming. That's what Noah's Ark's all about. It's showing us that this reality is coming. This is why Jesus speaks this way. This is why when people try to compliment him or rejoice in seeing the demons kicked out, he kept saying, you're looking at the wrong thing. You need to look at that which is eternal. You must get right with God. Because eternity is in the balance. When that door closes or when that trumpet is sounded, you will either be in the inside or the out. You can't play games with God. 
People think that they can play games with God. You can't. In the natural world, they have an expression, fake it till you make it. And you know, you can fake it a lot and you can deceive people and trick them and they think you've got it. But I want to tell you today, there's no faking it until you make it in the kingdom of heaven. Because God sees through it all, church. He sees right through it all. When we come to God and we confess something, we are not revealing a secret to God. We are humbling ourselves and acknowledging that He is God, that we are a sinner and we need help. He already knows it. Don't think that you can fake it with God, that you can play a game with God. You see people going through life when everything is comfortable, God is the furthest thing from their mind. Soon as things get uncomfortable, all of a sudden they're like, help, God help me, pray for me. And as soon as that problem is solved, again, they're just back into a wayward life. God is not mocked. He sees your heart. He sees what you're sowing. So don't ever think that you can pretend to love God and to worship God and for God not to know. God sees right past it all. He sees past the words of your lips right into your heart. Jesus puts it like this. This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. When we come and we worship on Sunday mornings, the words that come out of our mouth should be an expression of what is in our heart towards God. And if it's not an expression of that heartfelt love and worship for God, knowing who God is, then they're just empty words. And God says, I don't want your words. I want your heart. I look into your heart. Don't honor me with your words and then with your life do the opposite. Where is your heart today towards God? Ask yourself that question. Challenge yourself before you leave this building today. Where is my heart towards God? We go on to read, And there went a great multitude with Jesus. Who loves great multitudes? All of the extroverts say yes, all the introverts say no, let me go have a quiet place somewhere. There's a lot of safe spaces in today's society, isn't there? But you know what a great multitude speaks of? speaks of success. It speaks of growth, fruitfulness. You look at the great multitude and you'd be saying, yes, finally these people are following Jesus. He's walking, they're following him. Isn't that great? Jesus didn't interpret it like that. He understood crowd psychology. He understood the heart of man. And instead of rejoicing when he saw the great multitude, the word of God says that he stops, he turns, and he begins to challenge them. Wow, Jesus, shouldn't you just be happy? And next week we can get a bigger crowd and let it build and build until the whole nation is following you. No, no, no. When Jesus saw the crowds, he knew amongst the crowds there were people that were there who have never truly come to him. And so he stops. He stops and he begins to speak to them. You know, there's a lot of people who are following the crowd that is following Jesus. Did you hear that? There's a lot of people here today that are here because their parents are here. It's true. Their parents come, so they come along. Just because they've come along because their parents have doesn't mean that they've had an encounter with Jesus. And there's lots of people that turn up when there's great crowds. And it's like, what's going on here? Something new. Something new. 
Who thinks it would have been really cool to watch Jesus own the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers? I would have loved that. You've got these whitewashed tombs, these hypocrites. They were all lefties, I'm telling you. They were all woke. And they're bringing all of this wokeness out. Excuse the humor. But I would have loved just the way Jesus just spoke truth and cut it down. And we could say, and that's why these guys on social media get these big followings. The Jordan Petersons and these other guys, they get followings because they give voice to the frustrations we have against the lies we hear. And so we follow them because they're really giving voice to something we think is very frustrating or it's a lie and it makes us feel good so we watch them and when they own the other person, it's like, yes. And you know, there would be people that followed Jesus for that reason. Some followed him because of the miracles. Some followed him because it's these great crowds and you'd literally say, if you suddenly saw a few thousand people walking up this street, you'd be going, where are they going? What's happening? What's happening that so many people would be following? And Jesus understands all of these dynamics that's going on. And I want to challenge you today, do not be part of a crowd that follows Jesus. Don't do it because your family does it. Don't do it because your spouse does it. God is not mocked. He's looking at your heart. And if you're turning up to church or you're a part of the Christian crowd, it's got to be more than just being part of it. Jesus is looking for you to have a personal encounter with him. No one else. Hallelujah. Can you say amen to that? Are you just following and joining the others that are following Jesus? And so Jesus turns to him and he says, If any man comes to me. Now, I think if, if I was to teach on church growth, let me rephrase that because I wouldn't do it. But if I was to be at a seminar that was teaching on church growth, they would say, You've got the crowd. Now reel him in. That's my terminology. You've got this great crowd now. Assimilate them. We want to see them next week on the sea. We want to see the church growth. And so what you do is you begin to tell them the benefits and how good your church is. Somebody lived up at Stanhope Gardens and these people knocked on the door and I invited them to come and visit their church. And they said, no, no, we have a church that we're going to. And they said, oh, but our church is much better. And they began to say how big and how great their church was. How do we get to meet? Jesus never does that. He doesn't operate at that level. That level which is so carnal, so superficial. Jesus knows except a man be born again, he won't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not there to persuade the crowd to keep following him and build a reputation. Or show the other preachers how many people are following me. No, he knows there must be a work of the Spirit of God in every single individual. Don't just join the crowd to follow a religion or a faith. You need to come face to face with the Son of God. And he says, if any man comes to me, he's talking to this great multitude following him. And you probably look at that and say, well, Jesus, they have. They're all following you. No, no. He doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you just to join a following crowd. He says, if you come to me, if you come to me, and then he begins to challenge them. How many of you have been challenged in your Christian faith? Do you know, a lot of people, they think that Christianity is saying the sinner's prayer. It's like, I give them a message that moves you enough in the moment, 
And then I say, get down here quick so I can reel you in. That's not where how the Holy Spirit works. Can he work through that? Yes, he can. But just because you got out of your seat and came down and said a sinner's prayer doesn't mean you're born again. So often we want to tell people, I remember going to Parramatta Stadium, it was packed out with young people, teenagers and young adults. And this guy literally got up there and for I don't know for how long says, if you've tried drugs and sex and this, this and this, it doesn't work. And then he gave her examples of people doing that and how miserable their lives were. And at the end of it all, his order call was, try Jesus, he works. I sat there astounded thinking, where in the world did you get that message? Where in the Bible does Jesus speak like that or the apostles speak like that? It is not something flippant and shallow. It's not superficial. God is not looking for an emotional response from you today. He's looking for something that's far greater. Many join the crowd, many follow along the road, but they are not true disciples. They don't truly know Jesus. When you see people that go along for a period of time and then stop going, we say, oh, look, they backslidden. I think in most cases they were never saved in the first place. Because John says in his epistle, if you're born of God, you overcome the world. You don't submit to it and run into it. John says, if you're born of God and his seed remains in you, you don't live a life of habitual sin. You don't run into it. You don't do that if you're born of God. And we've got to realize there's something great about our salvation. It breaks Satan's bondages and sin's power and it enables, it has the grace of God ruling and reigning in our life and it makes us a new creation. And by their fruit you shall know them. Amen. Hallelujah. So many follow for a while and then they drop off, fall away. They turn to pleasure, they turn to riches. But when you come to Jesus, I want to tell you today, it's all or nothing. I'm not here to say to you, if you come to Jesus today, all your problems will go away and you'll have a peaceful life for the rest of your life on this earth. No. Jesus calls for something far greater than that. You don't come and add the bits you like about Christianity you come realizing I am bowing my knee before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a complete and utter surrender. It's an understanding He is God. I'm a sinner. I'm lost and I'm under the wrath of God's judgment unless I am saved. John the Baptist, I love the way he put it. He said, who has warned you to flee from the wrath which is to come? I think we've lost that message in the church. And in losing it, we've had a church that has become weak in so many ways. I want to tell you one of the greatest things about the cross is not that the the blood protects me from Satan, it's the fact that the blood protects me from the wrath of God. Satan can have a go at me, my God will deal with him. If God pours his wrath out on me, no one will ever save me. Wow, think about that for a moment. Come to Jesus, have your best life now, and we leave everything else out. It's an understanding Jesus came to save and deliver me, to give me eternal life, to prepare us and make us fit for glory. It is eternal and glorious. So Jesus says, if any man comes to me and hates not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, He cannot be my disciple. Can you imagine the crowd when they heard that? They're like, yes, he feeds the thousands. 
He raises dead people to life. He outsmarts the Pharisees. He does this, he does that. Let's follow him. Then he turns around and makes a statement like this. You say, Jesus, why would you do that? Wait till they've been saved so many months, they're mature, and then slowly give that to them when we got them on board. But Jesus doesn't. He's straight down the line. And he says, there is a sacrifice when you come to me to be made. So often we hear a very cheap salvation preached. Obviously, Jesus is not teaching you here to hate your family. So those of you who are upset with your husband or wife, this is not your verse. The Word of God says, husbands, love your wife. Amen? So what is he saying? He is teaching there is nothing that takes precedence in this world that can get in the way of your relationship to me. If anything gets in the way and stops it, then that thing is out of order and you need to deal with that and never let it stop you from coming after Jesus. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want total and absolute allegiance from you. I want total and absolute commitment from you. And you think, isn't that a hard ask? What did Jesus give you? What did Jesus go through for you when he calls you to do that? And in actual fact, everything that Jesus tells us to lay down, in and of themselves, those things will eventually bring us pain and destruction. He's actually telling us to lay down the things that will be poisonous in our life. He's not saying, it, lay it down, I want you to be miserable and to suffer. No, it's for our good. Can you say amen to that? And then he goes on and says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Do we have any cross bearers in here? Church, hear it. This is Jesus speaking. This is not me. I tell you, if I had to come up with a word that wasn't from the word of God, I'd be selling you lollies and chocolate and all sorts of nice things. This is Jesus speaking. And he's saying, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Why is it that when you hold a prayer meeting for a church, and I'm talking about any church, there are so few people there, so few people, because they've all bought into the Encyclopedia Satanica. They've got all of their reasons why they shouldn't go. Some people think a prayer meeting is there for their benefit, for them to feel good by the end of the hour. No, we come to seek his face, to glorify him. And because we know there is a kingdom that needs to be manifested to see people healed and set free and delivered. If we can't even do that, how can we pretend to ourselves that we picked up our cross to follow Jesus? Cross speaks to us of sacrifice, yes? It speaks to us of death to self. True discipleship takes sacrifice. So here's a good question. What should you sacrifice? Here's a good answer. Anything that gets in the way of following Jesus. That's what it's about. Jesus doesn't want you just to be in pain for the sake of it. It's anything that prevents us from following Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who has a banqueting table for us, whose banner over us is love. Anything that prevents us following Jesus, he says, lay it down. Pick up your cross, deny it. And guess what's one of the things that hates to come and pray? I'm using that as one example to so many. 
the flesh hates to pray. There's a lot of people that come into prayer meetings and they're going to take on the principalities of the air that's over a city, but they can't get victory over their own flesh and pray for a few minutes in the spirit. True? We need to begin to sacrifice our flesh and say, no, I'm going to respond to God. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to lay it down. Amen? Notice this invitation to come to Jesus. It's not, I'll come and make your life better. I'll make you rich. I'll make you feel good. But Jesus is leading us on a path of life and righteousness. So Jesus stops as he challenges the crowd and he says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sits not down first and counts the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he's laid the foundation, he's not able to finish it. All that behold it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What does this parable mean? This parable means Jesus is saying to the crowd, don't just join the crowd because you saw a miracle or for whatever reason. If you want to come to me, count the cost. Think about it. Don't be superficial. Don't be flippant. Go and consider. That's interesting, isn't it? It's very different to, I was in one meeting and the guy says, I'm going to count to three, and when I get to three, get out your seats and run up the front, and you'll, you'll say the sinner's prayer. And there's a build-up of emotion. There's a build-up of psychological manipulation. Jesus comes to you today, and he says, no, no, stop. Don't just follow the crowd. Don't just come to church. Count the cost. Why? Because Jesus wants true disciples. He doesn't want fair-weather so-called Christians. He wants men and women to say, yes, I know. I know, and I am going to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. How glorious is that? That kind of changes our theology a little bit, isn't it? When we begin to speak to people and say, no, no, don't rush into this. You think about it. Jesus wants you to think about it. He wants you to consider it so that when you make that decision, it's a decision that's founded on a strong foundation. Amen? Jesus says, consider the sacrifice consider the cross. Why would Jesus do that and do it with such confidence? I believe he does that and he does it with so much confidence because he knows it must be a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life. We're almost finished here. I'm just going to read the rest of these verses and you can meditate them on your own time. He goes on to say, what king going to make war against another king sits not down first and consults whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and desires conditions of peace. Jesus is teaching, think about it, be smart, be wise, consider. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Can I just give you a little bit of advice today? Don't be that man or that woman that on the spur of the moment makes these great commitments to God and then next week you've forgotten. The Bible says every idle word. You know, we need to see a church that is a light, that is strong, that has character, that's a reflection of who Jesus Christ is. He never plays games. He's not a flippant God. When you say, I'm going to this year commit to this or I'm going to commit to that, follow through. 
When you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, it's time to have a little bit of sacrifice and start doing the things that he tells us to do. Can you say amen to that? That's what makes a strong church. That's what makes a strong Christian. I pray that you've been encouraged and challenged this morning. It's a good way to start the year, isn't it? What is the message for the year? The message is this. Let us be true disciples. Let us not just be a part of a crowd that lives a convenient Christianity, but men and women who know what it is to come to Jesus. Hallelujah. Face to face and let him deal with you. Let him set you free. Be real with God. Put him first in your life. Amen. Let's stand this morning. The worship team can come up. Hallelujah. Let's just close our eyes, church. You know, just recently I was reflecting on members of our congregation who are in their 80s. Linda's side, my side, there's others. And I look at their life and how whenever you ask them to do anything, we need prayer, can you minister the word? They're faithfully there. In their 80s, they put a lot of people in their 20s to shame in their commitment to God. Just think about it. They are a blessing and a testimony to us in this house to see a true disciple of Jesus. That blesses me so much. I think, Lord, thank you. Whenever we feel weak or we feel faint, we look and think, these guys are decades ahead. And they're not winding down. Their bodies may not be able to do what they used to do, but spiritually, you know that they turn up, that they're there, that they're an example. I thank God for that testimony. And you know what, church? I want to be a testimony like that. And I pray to God you do too. That you would say, Lord, the days of my life on this earth, may my life bring glory to you. Whether it's in the background where no one sees, whether it's up front, that's irrelevant. Let my life, when the next year rolls around, they'll look and say, there's a man, there's a woman, they're faithful. They're a true follower of Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that your word is spirit, it is truth, it is life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come now and that you would minister to us. That you would open the eyes of our understanding. That we wouldn't be double-minded and double-minded men and women, oh God. Unstable in all our ways, but we would be those who are steadfast. Those who are faithful. Those who follow you, Lord. Lord, strengthen us with might in the inner man. And I pray, Lord, that a spirit of conviction and convincing will come upon each and every one of us where there's areas of our life that need to be addressed. Lord, forgive us when we have, Lord, run to the world. 
Forgive us, Lord, where we've turned our back, where, Lord, we've gone cold. Lord, let the fires be stirred up again. Let this church be a church where the light is shining and burning, O God. Hallelujah. We worship you. We love you. We declare, where can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We come to you, Lord. We follow you, Lord. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And we love you. And we worship you, almighty God. Saints, begin to praise him this morning.